Good evening from Plug Hit Studios in Largo, Florida. I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we are here with episode 542 of F5 Live Refreshing Technology for Sunday, November 10th, 2019. This show is a proud part of the all-new Tech Podcasts Network. If it's tech, it's here. This week, Google gives away cardboard, China takes away some gaming, and Netflix retires some older devices. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, on any of our live stream platforms, livestream.com, uh, Periscope, Mixer, Twitch, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, or uh, any of the podcatchers, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the Podcast Play app in the Windows Store, the myriad of others like TuneIn Radio, Spotify, and a lot more. Uh, or, of course, just from our website, PlugHitsLive.com. Thank you for making us a part of your day. There are two ways that you can do that. The first is Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can go to F5Live.tv slash join us. And there you'll see all the different ways that you can uh, watch live and chat with us in the studio and uh, give us your feedback on the topics as we talk about them. We always like to get uh, your input as we talk about stuff. If you're not able to join us, that is okay. You can always go to PlugHitsLive.com slash subscribe, and there you will see all of the shows, uh, including F5 Live and the Pilch Point, plus uh, PlugHits Live Presents, Unboxed, our new how-to videos, and a whole lot more are all available there. Um, Avram, <laughs> we had an unexpected week off last week. How, uh, how has your last two weeks been? Uh, all right. Um, could be worse. I, I guess I um, can appreciate the uh, sentiment of, all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just glad you were able to get your studio back, back together. Yeah, for sure. For those of you who uh, may not follow us on social media, um, our announcement last week about the canceled show uh, showed a photo of the studio <laughs> with no drywall in it. <laughs> The entire wall over here to my left uh, was missing because there was a, uh, a leak that had apparently been there for quite some time and some studio stuff that was up against it for a set that we never ended up building uh, was covering it. And I had no idea. And so I moved that stuff last Thursday and uh, the wall was black. <laughs> so that was fun. So obviously that's why we weren't on last week um as i sit here now um <laughs> there's kind of drywall <laughs> but it's not right um but they're working on it it i'm able to be in here this week though which is the important part last week it would have been uh very unhealthy <laughs> to have been in the studio i'm honestly i'm glad that that the moisture and the mold and stuff that was in the wall didn't affect any of the studio equipment Yeah, that's good. Ugh, I hate when that happens. When I lived in an apartment, uh, I had some flooding in my in my apartment that like it, you know, flooded through the floor and through the wall, uh, and it took like six months to get the uh, to get the building to fix it. Uh, the best part was that they allowed the the flooding came from my upstairs neighbor taking a shower, mm -hmm. and because there was a leak in the pipe and they didn't want to tell 
tell the person not to take a shower until they fixed it. So they allowed her to keep flooding my apartment for like an extra, I don't know, like two weeks or something, a week or two before they actually did something about it. I had almost exactly that happen in my apartment, um, my second bathroom, which granted I don't yeah. ever use, but uh, had water whoop, streaming through. Um, and it got so bad that while we were at CES in 2018, um, my father called me and said, Hey, so I went to grab something for you out of your apartment and, uh, your front light is leaking. <laughs> There's water streaming out of the light in your front entrance way. <laughs> like, Oh my God. <sighs> so. I understand, and it was coming from the shower. I, th I think the takeaway here is that water problems suck. Pl plumbing, yes. Plumbing is yes. Oh, always a challenge. I, I'm not a fan. <laughs> oh my goodness! But we are back, and that's the important part. Everything is uh, currently stable. Uh, so good things. Um, in the in the time that we've since our last episode, some interesting things have happened. We have started doing how-to videos um, completely by accident. We were asked a couple of weeks ago, well, there's a particular question that we keep getting asked about one of the products we did unboxing videos for uh, in January and did reviews for in like March. Um, we've apparently become the experts on, on YouTube and people keep asking us questions on how to do things. And one of them was complicated enough that I decided to film it to show people how, and um, it became our top viewed video on YouTube for the last two and a half weeks. <laughs> and so we're gonna do more. Apparently we've hit a nerve. We've, <laughs> we've found something because it's a weird product line and I figure if we do some how-tos on some weird product lines, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll work. So uh, keep an eye out for those. Um, also the review on this microphone and its whole family, which is off to the right here, is the reason why, if you were watching live, we were having some audio issues. Um, preparing for the, the recording is what caused all those problems uh, on our side. So uh, those are gonna, that's gonna be coming in the next uh, week, hopefully. Uh, obviously, everybody knows I'm in love with this microphone. I think <laughs> I think this is my favorite microphone I've ever owned, uh, so the review will be glowing. Uh, but a full review, including a video with all five of them together, uh, compared side by side by side, which is what screwed up the mixer earlier. Uh, that is what's uh, coming as well. So whoop, lots of stuff coming from us uh, in the next week or so, so keep an eye out for that. And don't forget, next weekend, is uh, Anime EY in uh, Fort Lauderdale, new 3000 Brigade show. Um, Avram, you and I will figure out how we're going to do, how we're going to put together a show. Uh, there's okay. There'll be a way to do it. I just don't know exactly when. We'll have to figure that out. Anyway, um, I think All with right. that, we can get down to some news.
This week's Nifty Gifties and F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for a new tablet, a laptop, uh, an Xbox One, either S or X, maybe you need an office subscription uh, or a video game. It's all available from the Microsoft Store and uh, with a lot of deals going on right now. The thing that I find most interesting about the Microsoft Store to remember is even on sale items, if you're um, military or a student, you get a 10% discount on top of whatever the price is. And to find out about all of the deals uh, getting ready to head into the Black Friday season, you can go to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. So in our last show, I think, I think it was our last one. Maybe it was the one before. Uh, we talked about um, kind of the end of phone-powered VR. Uh, Samsung has ba- uh, already abandoned it. Uh, Google had officially announced that Daydream uh, was over. They had woken up. And um, with that, the concept was pretty well dead. Well, this week, Google made a move that was... A little surprising, a little not, and I'll explain why both of those in a second. They have open-sourced Google Cardboard, which was kind of the precursor, the thing that powered Daydream, um, except that, you know, it re- the headsets were kind of homemade and a little weird. Um, but the platform was solid and, again, yeah. powered a couple of other platforms behind the scenes. Well, they've open-sourced the technology. It's surprising because of the the abrupt like end of Daydream, but it's not surprising because this is something Google has done before with a platform that has just totally choked. Um, you know, Google Wave became uh, Apache Wave a number of years ago, although they shut it down last January. Um, you know, platforms that as a commercial product never worked it's not unusual for google to put that out to um to the open source community and in this case the idea of an open source vr platform of any kind um could be really good for uh developers especially education because there'd be no licensing for the for the platform and the headsets could literally be built uh out of cardboard I think, especially from an educational standpoint, this could be really good uh, for developers. What do you think? Yeah, sure. I mean, anything you can do, anything you can do to make it to make it easier for people to to do the to do VR applications is going to be good for the platform. Yeah, and and while you know the idea of of a cardboard headset may not be the thing that uh that takes the industry by storm the idea that it's all open source now you know other companies could easily make inexpensive non-cardboard headsets designed for the platform uh and and maybe kind of revitalize the the space you know not not having super expensive headsets like the Samsung one or super cheap ones like the actual Google Cardboard one, but you know somewhere somewhere in the middle, they might actually be able to find a sweet spot on this. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, certainly, 
you know, the idea of um, of, ha- of Google Cardboard was to democratize VR, get more people using it, make it affordable. Um, so, you know, this seems like another step in that direction, even if Google is not necessarily leading the charge anymore itself. Right. And, and there's no... I don't have any real uh, details on what the process of this will look like. Um, anytime a commercial product is open sourced, the process can be strange. You know, with with Wave, it was almost a six month transition from Google to Apache. Um, but with with WebOS, HP handed it out to the community and said, "We're gonna we'll we'll keep the lead on it. Like we'll." We'll keep tabs on everything, but you guys, it's yours. Uh, and there's processes in the middle. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what their plan is here to see where it goes. Um, but I think if the idea of a phone-powered VR headset is going to be commercially viable, this is probably the way it has to be. So while we talked two or three weeks ago about how there probably wasn't a, a commercially successful uh, vehicle for this, here we have maybe, if something's going to work, it'll be this. <laughs> I, think, I think is the way to look at it. If, if something is going to make the concept work for standard consumers, I think this would be it. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if anybody else jumps on board or if it just becomes maybe an educational platform, which I think would be fine. You know, if, if schools used it to teach the basics of VR with literally a cardboard phone headset, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect if you're learning, which as we've talked in the past is, has been my view on the windows mixed reality headsets. They weren't great. They were good for developers that didn't want to spend $3,500 on HoloLens. Maybe this is the uh, yeah. the the VR version of of that. I don't know. Yeah, definitely be definitely be interesting to see. Uh, we will be following it for sure because the op- Google open sourcing projects like this is always fun to follow. So <laughs> we'll definitely be keeping on top of that. This week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by Pure VPN. That was a lot of peas. Um, <laughs> uh, when you're browsing online, obviously you want to protect your uh, your privacy and your security, and the best way to do that right now is with a VPN. It allows you to hide from your ISP and Facebook and Google, uh, all while uh, giving you the ability to use the web at all the speeds and uh, capabilities that you expect. And right now, PureVPN is giving our viewers, uh, I think, the best deal, even better than last time, the best deal that we've seen for Cyber Month right now. They are doing a um, $1.65 a month for, um, for a five-year VPN deal. That is a wonderful deal, buck sixty-five a month. Um, and PureVPN is rated the fastest VPN 
um, in a number of uh, service tests, which is another great thing. Plus, if uh, you're out of the country and you want to watch the series finale of of a popular show, but you just can't get it where you are, PureVPN allows you to say you're back in the States and get your Hulu or Netflix to uh, work as normal. And to get your deal, all you have to do is go to pilchpoint.live slash PureVPN. All right. So, like I said, it is uh, it is Cyber Month, Avram. It means that people are getting ready to start looking to purchase computers for themselves because sales are coming, but sometimes uh, <laughs> there are pitfalls, right? Yeah. So this applies whether there is a sale or not, but it is even worse when there's not a sale. Um, so a few weeks ago, we, um, we recently reviewed the Surface Laptop 3, and anyone who's gone online and and pondered whether to purchase a Surface of any kind, a Surface Laptop 3, a Surface Pro 7, a Surface, um, Surface Pro X, you, um, you will notice that you are charged a ton, a ton, uh, for getting a larger SSD or more RAM. Um, but it's not only Microsoft that does this. But Microsoft's a pretty bad offender. Uh, for example... The base model Surface Laptop 3, 13-inch, is $999, and it comes with a Core i5 processor, 8 gigs of RAM, and 128 gigabyte SSD. A 128 gigabyte SSD in 2019. You can't, that's so tiny. And then you say, okay, well, what if I wanted it a little bit bigger? The next step up after that is to spend $300 more dollars Go to twelve ninety nine, just to get it with a two fifty six gigabyte SSD. So you're spending three hundred dollars for one hundred twenty eight gigabytes of extra storage. No other difference in the in the model. But they're not alone. On on Dell, uh, you go and you want to buy an Alienware Aurora desktop, and by default, and you click on configure. Not every company has configurable uh, laptops and desktops but Dell does and if you want to conf- and if you want to upgrade from 8 gigabytes of low speed RAM to 32 gigabytes of high speed 2933 megahertz RAM that will cost you $500 if you want to go from a 1 terabyte hard drive to a 1 terabyte SSD $500 also if if you're shopping at Lenovo and you're buying a ThinkPad X1 Carbon and you want to go from the base model 256 gigabyte SSD to a one terabyte SSD, also over $500, $591. Now, the reason these prices are so crazy is because you have to look at what they cost, what those, those components cost if you were to buy them on your own. So Microsoft, of course, uh, makes it more difficult because they use um, a, a, tw- a really tiny uh, SSD, a 22, 30, um, a 30 millimeter 
S, uh, M2 SSD, which there aren't many of them for sale yet. Perhaps there will be. So that makes it a little difficult, would be a little bit difficult to get on your own. However, um, all the other things that we're talking about, uh, if you wanted to get a one terabyte SSD standard, do you know how much that would cost roughly for an NVMe one terabyte SSD these days? Uh, not offhand, maybe for a one, no, no, not offhand. Okay, so for, for a cheap, for a good one, like, uh, the ADATA XPG, uh, 8200 Pro, our top pick at Tom's Hardware, that's about $127 (laughs) for a, a cheap one. On sale, that would be, you know, like the Intel 660P is a great, great cheap one that's often as low has gone as low as eighty dollars for a one terabyte drive. Jeez. So, while I while they don't say what brand of drive they're using at these places, and I know that say Lenovo is using a Sam probably using a Samsung drive and a pro grade one that's you know, probably worth over $200 or maybe $200 or something. All of these things are marked up significantly, significantly. The RAM, for example, do you know how much it costs to buy 32 gigabytes of high-speed RAM? I can't imagine it's too much. For a desktop? Yeah, I can't imagine it's too much. I haven't priced it in a while, but I can't imagine, especially with uh, DDR4, uh, or yeah. I, I can't imagine that it's too much. Well, so Dell is charging $500 and we don't know the exact RAM timings. So every spec of what Dell is charging of, of the one that Dell would give you, but, um, it says HyperX fury. So if you go and you go to Amazon and you look for a 32 gigabyte, uh, kit of HyperX fury Ram, that is high speed, so it's 3,000, I think 3,000 or 3,200 megahertz. That is 160 bucks. Uh, if you don't necessarily insist on having HyperX RAM, you can find other brands like our favorite 32 gigabyte kit, which is from Patriot Memory, for around 100, as low as 120 bucks. So, um, so, in other words, when you're getting charged $500, you're being charged 3 to 400% markup. Um, so, um, I mention these things because when you're out there shopping, you might be wondering, wow, why does this cost so much or should I pay this? Uh, and we, you know, first of all, you might be wondering, why are they doing this? Well, the simple answer is to make money, right? <laughs> Right. Um, we talked to an in, I talked to an industry analyst, um, Stephen Baker of of NPD Group, and he said that um, when you have a lower price model like the base model Surface Laptop Three that's nine ninety nine, that has a lower margin for the manufacturer, and so by charging more for the RAM and storage, they can make it up by having high margins, meaning mm-hmm. a big markup on um 
on more expensive configurations because, hey, I guess you were willing to pay for it. But part of the problem is, too, some of these base models, if you know about computers, you probably shouldn't buy. Like, it's really hard to argue that in 2019 anybody should buy a a laptop with a with 128 gigabytes of storage. Right. A Windows laptop, maybe a Chromebook or something. But, like, so, you know, in a way, they're sort of trying to say, hey, they, in their marketing, hey, we have... That we could, we're selling this for under a thousand dollars, but anyone who actually looks at the specs and knows what they're doing would have to spend at least twelve ninety nine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, what can you what can you do as a consumer? Well, there's a we have a few. I have a few ideas, and we I have an article about this, which you'll find on the homepage of tonshardware.com. One thing you can do uh, is you can upgrade it yourself. Now that is. With the cat, with a few caveats. Mm-hmm. One, if you're buying a, a desktop, chances are no, you should be able to upgrade the RAM and storage, no problem. Uh, almost any desktop you get, not an all-in-one, but almost any tower right. desktop you get um, should be upgradable. But a laptop, it you may or may not have access to the RAM and storage. They may or may not be soldered onto the motherboard. So you need to do a little research before you buy. Uh, you can go and look for the service manual on the manufacturer's site, or you can go to crucial.com, the uh, company that, a company that sells memory and storage, and use their, their product finder. And it has like almost every laptop and desktop that have like ever been made <laughs> or made in the last several years. And if you find your model on there, it'll tell you what you can buy for it. And if you don't, and if it says nothing, that probably means that you can't upgrade. Um, so, which doesn't mean you have to buy their memory, but it will tell you what you what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, that's now, of course, for some manufacturers, this may void your warranty. Um, for most, it does not. So you should check that. Um, and of course, you know, your whatever you upgrade is not going to be covered by the manufacturer's warranty. So. You know, ideally, you wouldn't have to do this. Um, another possibility is look for pre-configured models. You definitely save by not when you don't have to custom config. Mm-hmm. So uh, even on Dell, if you buy the 999 custom model versus a customizing the 799 model, you get more for you, for your money. Also, you can also look for companies that sell just a cheaper product, a cheaper competing product with better, with a better config. Uh, for example, a lot of people want a Dell XPS 13, and that is a great notebook. But their competitors, like the ASUS ZenBook 13, that come decked out with 16 gigs of RAM and 512 gigabytes of storage, you know, for hundreds of dollars less, and you know, the build quality isn't quite the same but you're getting a, a fairly similar experience with everything thrown in. Um, obviously, another possibility is accept lesser specs. You know, okay, figure out what you can live with. Can you live with the 256 gigabyte SSD instead of a 512 or a one terabyte? Probably, uh, if you're not putting a lot of stuff on there. Not great, but you could live with it. 128 really hard to live with Mm -hmm. um can you live with eight gigabytes of ram 
I'd rather not. Um, another thing to consider is, and this is my final piece of advice, you should be willing to spend some margin to get the upgrades that you want. It's just when it's three, four hundred percent, that seems like crazy gouging. If you're spending 50, 60, 70, 80 percent over what you would spend for the convenience of having the spec that you need, um, then it's worth it, even if you could upgrade it yourself, because it's going to be covered by the um, manufacturer. It's going to come working out of the box. Uh, everything's going to be compatible. So, you know, if I see that, hey, this company is charging me, you know, $150 to get an SSD that would cost me $100 to buy myself, uh, that's worth it, right? Yeah, But for sure. If they're charging me $500 to get something that costs $150, that's just a little bit too much to, to bear. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when you take into consideration, like you said, that that configuration is going to come to you uh, covered <laughs> under the warranty, that's a, right. that's a pretty big deal. But the fact that, like, with an SSD, the fact that you don't have to right. deal with trying to to put windows back on it and all the annoyances that come with changing out a drive and a computer. Yeah. At that point for 50 bucks or whatever, that that's definitely worth it for my time alone. Yeah. But, no but doubt. not, it's just but not $400. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, the prices are absolutely ludicrous. I mean, granted, um, they look even worse today than they did six months ago or a year ago because the price of storage and RAM has dropped so much. Mm -hmm. But but nevertheless, and, you know, um, one of my coworkers likes to point out that maybe these companies bought, uh, you know, a boatload of SSDs before the prices dropped, and so it's not as much of a markup to them. But... It's still, you know, no matter what the story is, no matter what the reasoning is, like you're getting charged way too much for for that stuff. And ironically, it's not necessarily the case when you upgrade, when you configure with a better graphics card or a better CPU. I mean, some of some of the deals that I saw on those were almost equivalent to you buying it yourself. So, um Clearly, RAM and storage are the areas where they're really they're really bilking you the most. Yeah, and 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 like you said, it it's not necessarily their fault. In some cases, like you said, that they may have bought drives or whatever before the price has dropped, but that doesn't change the end result for you. Right. I mean, I I, I get it. You know, like they also need to make money, right? So. I don't know, you know, margins are very tight in uh, in the PC space. If they're selling, if let's say Dell is selling the Dell XPS 13 entry level model for 949 and it has four gigs of RAM and a Core i3 processor and 128 gigabyte SSD, all things that frankly, it would be very hard for any person to live with, but maybe the reason why they're doing that is maybe they're only making, and I'm pulling this number out of the air because I really don't know. Maybe they're only making 50 bucks on that model. 
who knows? Maybe they're even losing money. I I, I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. But and they're really counting on on selling a lot more of the ones that have two fifty six or eight eight gigs or right. Core i five. Um, but the the finances of the company are are not not your problem right. as a consumer. Right. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter. I'll be just be real quick with this. I always tell the story about years ago. Um, I got a was sent a netbook to review. Do you remember netbooks? Everybody? Oh, oh um, yeah. I, the Black Friday special for two netbook. years. So I was sent a netbook that was a convertible netbook. This was like one of the maybe the first I'd ever seen. It was a netbook with a touchscreen, and back in the day when they still when two and ones were like this, the screen would rotate around like this, and you could flip it over and turn it into tablet mode. Yes. Um, and this, this netbook, which had an Atom processor, the same, you know, but it had a touchscreen and it had, I think a pen and it had a screen that would flip around. This netbook was $1,200. Mm-hmm. Now I reviewed the netbook. Oh, it also had discrete graphics in a netbook. <laughs> it had, a, I think a little NVIDIA graphics card. So and and an atom processor. I, I reviewed it. it. <laughs> it's important yeah. to say that again. Yeah. So, right. So I reviewed, and it was also, I think, like really tiny, like ten or eleven inches. <laughs> I forget. Anyway, so I reviewed it and I gave it a negative review. I said this is not worth the money. Twelve hundred dollars. That's. I mean, this is back when laptops cost a bit more, but still, twelve hundred dollars was a lot for a netbook when netbooks were going for maybe four or five hundred dollars. Uh, and today you, you wouldn't pay that. But anyway, the company, someone from the company called me up and was very upset and said, $1,200, you know, you said this is overpriced, but do you know how much it costs us to buy that touchscreen and to buy that discrete graphics card? Those are expensive components. This costs a lot to make. And my, my response to them was being consumer is not buying a laptop. is not a charity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much it costs you to make it. It matters how much it's worth to me, and to me, it's not worth it. Right. So, and not just to me, but I think probably to anybody who who was thinking about their 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 money, like this is not. It doesn't matter that maybe your bill of materials and building it was was so high that you had to charge this much money for it. It's not worth it, right, to the consumer. So. It's not your job as a consumer to worry about how much it does this cost the company to make. The question is, are they, you know, are they overcharging you relative to what it would cost you or relative to what pre-configured models from other companies cost? Um, and the answer is seems to be yes. And and interestingly that that comment there, the it's not <laughs> Just because you built a thing that costs a lot doesn't mean that it works f- for consumers. Um, one of my favorite shows on TV is The Prophet. Um, and this past week uh, was the season premiere and he was in a restaurant and he had the business owner go through and uh, do a cost-benefit analysis on all the dishes and found out that some of them to to be successful would have to you'd have to charge so much for them that nobody would ever buy them. And his answer wasn't, uh, we'll go, go beat up the reviewers who are saying it's too expensive. His answer was, it's not a good dish. 
pull you're not going to sell it pull it from the menu which i think is a way more reasonable response just because you can build it doesn't mean you should and doesn't mean that it's going to have enough commercial value to be a a, a real product yeah I mean, on the flip side, though, taking the restaurant analogy real quick, I feel like companies, if you had, if you were in a restaurant, you had pride in your, your restaurant, you wouldn't sell a dish. You wouldn't give people a dish that was like a bad experience, no matter what, no matter what it cost. You wouldn't say, you know, say, hey, we've got the, the, the big burger and the small burger and then you get the small bur- the regular or the big burger and the regular size burger you get the regular size burger and it's like one forkful you know and everybody mm-hmm. says wow i'm leaving hungry after this that's what's happening with a lot of these base models is they're telling you hey look this is a great laptop this is a great thing you know it starts at nine it starts under a thousand dollars but the product that you would get for that price is not something that they should be proud of and frankly if i were them i wouldn't do that if if you if microsoft cannot afford to sell a surface laptop with a reasonable amount of storage in the base model for 9.99 then sell then then say the starting price is 12.99 they don't want to do that because it's not good marketing yeah yeah that and that makes sense it it's the it's the same uh, business model as cars, right? Starting at, you know, whatever, but, you know, that doesn't even come with power windows. <laughs> it's... Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and we've talked about this before, um, especially in uh, the terms of Microsoft, um, the fact that the, the Surface tablets don't come with the keyboard, but they call it, a tablet that can replace your laptop and you're like, well, yeah, but not if it doesn't come with the stuff to make it replace your laptop. So it's, it, it's not even just things like the, the Ram and the, the storage. Sometimes it's the, the keyboard that makes it usable that doesn't come with it. So, yeah, no doubt. Well, Obviously, this is, a, a, like I said at the beginning, a good topic going into the buying season um, because, you know, this is, this is when a lot of people go looking for new computers um, and not being taken advantage of or at now, least going in knowing what to expect is important. Yeah. Now, now, on occasion, if they have a coupon discount, that's where these upgrades can actually suddenly become affordable. Oh. So that is something to keep in mind. That's interesting. I uh I don't know that I was aware obviously I was on a subconscious level, but I don't know that consciously I'd ever considered the idea of a coupon that would make those upgrades different. Well, if it 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 happens and I I mean I've definitely seen this on lenovo.com where they'll have a coupon that's like 20% off or 30% off and it's not just off of the um you know, pre-configured if you configure it. So those upgrades can suddenly become very affordable, but you got to watch, you just got to watch out. Makes sense. Um, well, always, always appreciated Avram, especially, especially this time of year. And, uh, 
I always look forward to what we'll talk about next. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is proudly powered by Razer. All the accessories you need to up your game on PC and console are available from Razer. Whether you're looking for a new keyboard or mouse for your PC or your Xbox, maybe a webcam that has Chroma built in, or you're looking for a great gaming headset, um, Razer has got it all, all the way up through full uh, gaming uh, laptops and uh and uh, cases and all kinds of stuff. And to find out all of the things that are available and to find out about the weekly deals, you can go to f5live.tv slash razor. Um, obviously we know over the last couple of years that the uh, interest in gaming has increased significantly, um, especially with the rise of uh, the esports uh, industry. One of the places where the growth has been the largest, though, has been in China. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The growth in China is part of the reason why a couple of companies have have made some weird decisions. Uh, Blizzard being the the uh, most noticeable in the last couple of weeks um, in regards to the Hong Kong thing, um, but. Uh, this week, China has made an interesting move uh, to try and curb what they're um, believing to be. Uh, they, they've listened to the World Health Organization, which has determined that, that um, game addiction is a mental health disorder. There's a lot of debate over the val validity of that, but we won't get into that. Um, China is implementing a video game curfew for minors, anybody under the age of 18. The curfew would uh, prevent anybody under 18 from using uh, any online or mobile game uh, from 10 p.m. until 8 a.m. during the week, uh, and likely on weekends as well, um, and limits you to 90 minutes of gameplay during the week and 180 uh, on weekend and holiday days, which is a really uh, strong hand move. Uh, for something that is so hotly contested, but even more important, it's a strong move at a time when China is quickly becoming the second largest consumer of video games. It it seems like a a strange move. China is putting all kinds of money. Uh, Tencent owns five percent of Blizzard. They own five percent of. Uh, Ubisoft, they own like 25% of Glue Mobile, and they own 100% of Riot Games. Like, China's putting a lot of money into the gaming industry just to tell their own people, uh, don't use it that much. That That's an interesting move. So, yeah. so maybe they're um, legitimately concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand... It's a little, I mean, 
my my kids aren't old enough yet to be playing those type of games or playing them at night or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it is a little, you know, concerning, you know, if if uh, if that were to happen here, how would I feel about, you know, the government policing, you know, policing my parenting or whatever mm-hmm. like that? Um I mean, but it's China and, and they have a they have their own set of rules. Um but you know, I I I don't really know one thing I don't know enough about, I guess, is how effective uh Chinese government controls of the user experience there are. I know that people can't visit certain sites because of the Great Firewall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there are people who are able to get around it. Um, I don't know, um, you know, so I don't know, like, how is this going to be something that is strictly enforced that they're going to be able to strictly enforce? Because <coughs> here, nobody who plays is actually under 18 because people put in whatever age they want when they sign up and they don't want restrictions. True. Uh, or or copa or whatever and even as a parent it's kind of hard to sign up your kid for a kid account on a lot of things because they make it difficult difficult for you so you create an account under your name mm-hmm. you know and then your kid uses it for a lot of things so i'm just wondering how i mean obviously it's a much more locked down society right. in China. So I don't know if people would do that there, do do that there, uh, would worry about getting caught uh, doing that. Um, so I don't know. I guess it is a question about how how well enforced this is going to be. Right. But I guess it just kind of shows that the Chinese government is concerned about people spending too much time playing video games and they're going to take the approach that the government should control that. Right. Which when you're when you're talking about when you're talking about a communist society, that's usually the answer, right? Because technically people yep. aren't citizens, they're property of the government. That's a whole different thing. So, you know, the the move, the strong handed move is not out of the ordinary. Like you said, there's the great firewall that prevents you know, you to search for the word democracy or whatever. Um, so strong-handed enforcement <laughs> on technology is is common in in China. But yeah, it would be interesting to know how they planned to enforce it. Like whether they're gonna require the the iOS and Android to report usage time. Yeah, who knows? It it seems like it's hard to enforce in general um now on the other oh yeah also it would have to work across titles right yeah yeah exactly which is yeah it's not like it's not like it's 90 minutes on world of warcraft and 90 minutes on league of legends (laughs) it's 90 minutes total so how is that how are they going to enforce any of that 
So you would have to, they would, ha- there would have to be such an apparatus where all games were somehow talking to each other, mm-hmm. and then you would also have to know with great certainty who the user was, because I could just use your account. So mm. that's interesting. It makes you wonder if that's why uh, Tencent owns five percent of Activision, Ubisoft. <laughs> And all of Riot Games. Huh. It's it's definitely interesting. It's interesting. We have obviously we've seen parental control stuff in gaming for a long time. Even the Xbox 360 um, had parental controls, but it was parental controls. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, I know uh, Windows has parental controls for stuff and has for a long time uh, with like you said, a child account. Uh, that's literally what it's called in windows. So, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely been ways for parents to do this, but the, the idea that it is going to be in the government's hands uh, is interesting from a, like from a technological standpoint, I'm fascinated by, what it will take to enforce this. Um, but I'm also terrified by the idea that it would be enforceable. So um, this will be, this will be something we'll, we'll be keeping a, a close watch on. Um, there's no uh, uh, planned timeline for uh, implementation or enforcement, and there's no real details. Um, this, this all comes from the BBC. There's no real, uh, details on what this will look like, just kind of a a skeleton framework of what they're planning to do, uh, including uh, restricting how much per month uh, users can spend on online games. Uh, $29 for under 16 and 57 uh, for under 18 uh, per month. So we will definitely keep an eye on this and uh, keep people posted on it because it is beyond fascinating in both a technological and a um, frightening way, uh, a uh, black mirror kind of a way. <laughs> this week's news from the tubes and F5 Live is proudly powered by Rift Tracks. Make fun of movies or let these guys do it for you. Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy, the former stars of Mystery Science Theater 3000, are back and doing what they do best. Oh, creating commentaries for Hollywood blockbusters and B-movie oddities like Feeders, which is why I was laughing a moment ago. It looks terrible in a wonderful kind of way. Uh, The way it works is for a couple of dollars, you download the MP3, play it along with your DVD, uh, Amazon Prime Video, Netflix, Hulu, wherever the movie happens to exist, and laugh. They also do live events, and oftentimes the live events make their way uh, for sale on the site as well, and uh, they've also got short films available, uh, industry films like The Importance of Springs, or those uh, those school film strips you watched. Uh, all of those are available by going to f5live.tv slash tracks with an X. They have a sale on a movie called The Little Unicorn. (laughs) Oh, it also looks ridiculous. Anyway, that's not what we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about um, Twitter. 
kind of, but not really. We're actually going to talk about Saudi Arabia for a little bit. Um, this week, for the first time, the United States has charged a Saudi citizen with um, not, uh, unregistered spying. Um, two people were, uh, were charged with, um, with being unregistered foreign agents acting within the U.S., and the, the thing that was happening is, uh, brings up a number of issues, which we'll deal with in a second. But what happened was uh, two people working for Twitter starting in 2014 um, under the direction of the man known as the Invisible Hand of the Saudi Royals um, started collecting information about Twitter users that the royal family was concerned about. Uh, in particular, people who were uh, critical of the government or the family itself. Um, and that information was in the form of email and IP addresses, but also things like uh, browser details, which can be uh, incredibly targeting, um, and also uh, device information. And if you go back to 2014, um, we still did not universally have app-specific uh, user IDs, we had device-specific device user IDs. So the UUID would cover from app to app. So you could literally track somebody with that kind of information in a very detailed way. Um, and uh, theoretically, that is exactly what happened. Uh, the first, the uh, first employee um, was recently arrested, I believe on Tuesday. And the second one the day after, in 2015, Twitter uh, um, brought up the issue, put him on administrative leave, and he resigned his, uh, his job from an airplane heading back to Saudi Arabia. So he fled the country immediately. Um, but it's definitely an interesting story. But for me, the real interesting aspect of this comes from how much access these people had to live user data. I don't know what their jobs were, but the idea that they were able to get to collect this kind of very specific data and then be able to get it out of the country so easily is frightening. Um, and, you know, if if you think about like a company like Uber, if yeah, a company think, like Uber gave this, you know, had this situation in it, you could easily track somebody's movements in a very frightening way. I didn't mean to well, cut you off. What about the cell phone company? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you've got... No, I was going to say, what about the cell phone company? Um, expand on that question. What I what I mean is, you know, if somebody worked for if imagine you're I mean, cell phone carriers could trace if they wanted to uh -huh. can trace you from the towers from your pay, towers you pinged. Yeah. Right. And they do provide that information to law enforcement uh, occasionally. So I say, what if some I don't know who in the who in the phone company has access to that kind of data. Right. But, you know, what what if they somebody did. Right. And that's. Yeah, and that's something that has been a concern for a long time. Um, but it's 
like you said, it's it's in that case, who has access to it? To the best of our historical knowledge, it's been fairly, it seems to be fairly limited. But from what we've seen with with tech companies and how often information like this goes out, it seems like a lot of people have access to this kind of information in a way that's yeah, surprising. No Yeah, it makes it makes you think that there maybe there should be some I like is there any law governing this? No. Is this I mean Well, I mean I mean there's espionage I don't, laws. I don't think so, right? In this case there's espionage laws, but that's a different <laughs> that's a different issue. But if it was a I mean making sure that Twitter and Facebook and other companies that handle user data restrict who has access to the data. Mm-mm. so that somebody can't so easily get access to it. Nope. Currently no law. Um, nothing. It, Which is, you know, when you go and you look at some of the tech-based laws that have existed in the past, like the idea that um, no company can share your video rental history, but anybody... It seems like almost any employee of Twitter can access your email address, IP address, and and device information. What? <laughs> but yeah, but but you can't. But obviously, this has been fixed since then. But this is a story that has stuck in my head because it was so weird. Netflix wasn't allowed to put a share share that you watched this video on Facebook button in their app because some some uh, mom and pop video rental store once uh, said that a federal judge rented a porn video. Like, <laughs> you know, it's such a weird, so weirdly specific, and you know, law went through, but this, we literally see this kind of thing all the time. This is the first time that I think that I know of that espionage charges have been filed um, in response to it because it was a foreign national. But, um, but I mean, we see, we see this all the time. Um, a Twitter employee uh, on their way to quitting um, suspended uh, like a half a dozen accounts, including uh, for a short while, uh, President Trump. Like, <laughs> we, how, how, and it was a fairly low level customer service employee, if I remember correctly, and they had the ability to suspend the president's Twitter account. That seems like too much access. Well, I guess, I guess that makes, I guess that makes Twitter banning a democracy, though, right? Because then they would have to, right? Like then, it seems ridiculous when you say it, but on the other hand, on the other hand, in order to not have that happen, like you want to have a lot of Twitter employees that have the ability to block and ban people because. There are people being blocked and banned all the time. Sure. Right. So then you would have to create a separate class of Twitter accounts that can't be blocked or banned by by just anyone. They're like higher level accounts, which maybe they should do. Uh, maybe they should do. But like, per- I guess perhaps maybe a blue check Twitter. Nobody ever thought. Yeah, there's a lot of people to blue check. I know that's true. So. But y- yes. 
they probably should have something like that. But or maybe it's not it, such a crazy idea that someone whose job is to block people could block somebody. Or or maybe whose job it, is to ban people could ban somebody. Or maybe it requires, you know, double verification or something. <laughs> like a nuclear launch. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But the idea that this that that such identifiable information could be so easily accessible to just employees is something that is becoming more and more of a problem. Um, and this definitely is shining a, uh, a bright light on it. And, you know, anytime, anytime they uh, have to lean into the, the Patriot Act to respond to, <laughs> to a, an issue inside of Twitter, you, you know that something, something's going to come out of it. You know what I mean? There, there's no way, there's no way that this isn't the thing that spurs the, the, the law that we're saying doesn't exist, but probably should, since self-policing obviously is not working. No. Will we see it tomorrow? Yeah. No. Uh, but, you know, the, what was it called? The Mind Your Own Business Act? Uh, is is probably going to see some tweaks care of this. This week's DRM Not Included on F5 Live is probably powered by Amazon Prime. You know you get free shipping, but you also get cool things like Amazon Prime Music, which has several million tracks that you can stream for free. Amazon Prime Video, which gives you movies, TVs, and documentaries, again, available for free. Plus my favorite, Twitch Prime, which gives you um, the ability to subscribe and help financially support a streamer that you enjoy. For free, one subscribe every month, and you get um, free games every month. And all of this is part of your existing Amazon Prime subscription if you have one. And if you don't, we have a 30-day free trial available for you uh, to try it out and see if it's for you. And you can get that 30-day free trial and see quick links to find all of these features, which can sometimes be hidden. Uh, all of that is available on f5live.tv slash prime. One of the things that we've talked about a number of times over the years, dating back God, seven, eight, seven or eight years ago when, uh, when uh, Playfish was discontinued by EA, um, is the software-as-a-service pitfalls. The number one being that uh, if a thing goes away, a thing goes away. Um, obviously, in the past, when you say bought software... Um, it existed. If you bought Photoshop in 1989, and yes, it was available in 1989, and you had a computer that could run it today, you could run it today. However, if you subscribed to uh, Adobe Creative Cloud two years ago uh, at, for Photoshop, the version that you got then does not work today. You have to update it, uh, which... May or may not be a good thing because I'm not terribly fond of the new updated UI. And I know a lot of people aren't and they want to stay with that version. Oh, you can't because it's going to be turned off. Now, that's a, a nitpicky annoyance. It's when things go away. 
that it becomes a problem for, you know, the thing that upset me so much that that uh, we went on a rant about it a number of years ago was when SimCity Social was shut down after people spent money on it um, and really annoyed people. Today, uh, the place where people kind of most often deal with uh, cloud-supported stuff is in streaming. We talk about it a lot. There's going to be a dozen more services by this time next year uh, before the the culling starts. Um, but when those services say that either your device is no longer an option or whatever, you're going to lose access to stuff. And that's what happened with Netflix uh, this week. They announced that a slew of older devices are going to see the end of their support uh, for the Netflix app including Samsung and Vizio smart TVs and a couple of older Roku streaming devices. Now, they would not be making this decision if there weren't only a small number of people using these devices. If, if there were still a lot of people using them, they would figure out a way to make it work. So the intention is for this to affect a very small number of people. And based on their explanation... The fact that there are technical limitations, it makes sense. You know, we've seen Netflix do all kinds of interesting new stuff. There was the, to go back to Black Mirror <laughs> again, there was the uh, the uh, kind of choose-your-own-adventure Bandersnatch story, right? Which wasn't available on all platforms because the whole choose-your-own-adventure thing was difficult to implement. Um, and... The, this week or last week, they launched a new comedy special from Seth Meyers, and they've given users the ability to skip his political jokes, which, based on the comedy that he does, I imagine that makes it about a six-minute comedy special, but that's a whole different topic. Um, you know, but when, when you start adding all this interactive stuff in, if it's a really low-profile smart device, all right. Maybe that becomes a problem, and who knows what what new stuff they've got in store. But you know, it, it does bring up that that little bit of fear in the back of people's minds, right? Where you're like, "But if I buy this, how long will it last? How long will I be able to use it?" And and that's a that's a fear that I've had. I'm a software developer, and I have a, this fear all the time, especially since SimCity Social burned me. It's it's definitely a an unfortunate kind of a thing. Um, I not that I would ever feel sorry for Netflix or empathy too much for Netflix, but um, there's a lot of platforms that have Netflix on them a uh -huh. lot. Yeah, and they all have different operating systems uh -huh. with different requirements. Um, yeah, and. So it must be really hard to maintain support for all of those platforms. I would imagine it's, you know, it's, it's insane. Like, it's like if you were developing a website, doing building a website. Now, irony is I remember we used to, when I used to do like web development more full, you know, more of the time is when I used to do it full time, we used to test we used to test on a million different platforms. It was mm -hmm. like, oh, have you tested on Internet Explorer? Have you tested on, you Net, know, on Netscape, Netscape Navigator? Have you tested on... 
You know, have you tested on on links to see what it looks like in text? Have you tested on the AOL browser? Have you tested on, you know, uh, have you tested in Mac and PC and you tested on Linux and you tested now I see more and more for people who I know who are doing it, they're ignoring more and more platforms and like, okay, we know most people are on Chrome and some people are on Safari uh, and, you know, a few people are on Firefox and very few people are on Edge. And and so there's a lot, I mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot less testing. Now you look at Netflix, how many platforms did, and this isn't a web page or something that's supposed to work across every platform because right. it's, a, it's a standard language like HTML. It's, okay, old Roku has this. Samsung TV has that. Vizio TV has that. They're L- all different LG's, versions of the software. LG's older smart TVs run on their proprietary thing. The newer ones run on webOS. So for them, it's a nightmare. Now, yeah. for people... Uh, like my parents who have a smart TV that has Samsung uh, UI on it, it's kind of it's kind of crappy because they want, you know, one day they're going to try it and it's not going to work. And, you know, mm-hmm. they I mean, hopefully there's some kind of message in there, at least that says, like, use a new device um, rather than just having it disappear or mm-hmm. just give a, a big error message netflix has actually uh sent communication to everybody who is subscribed that has uh an active one of these devices active on their account um and then i would imagine huh. that they'll okay. also have the app respond uh if you try like they'll push one last update that when you launch it says oh sorry <laughs> yeah <coughs> that would make sense um you know, so there's just a ridiculous amount of platforms they have to support. I can't even imagine. Uh, as, as a software engineer, I cannot imagine the complexity that their team deals with. Just just thinking about smart TVs. I've done some Samsung smart TV development. I've done, obviously, I've done WebOS development. Um, those two are so unbelievably different. <laughs> Just those two. And then you add in Roku and uh, and Vizio. And, oh, they've got to have... Apple TV. Yeah, I bet I would not be surprised if Fire. they don't have at least 60 different, uh, different repositories for, uh, for different apps. Yeah, it's... It's just crazy how many they have to support. So that, you know, granted, they, this company seems to spend money on a lot of stuff, including, including some really question, some shows of really questionable quality. But, you know, they have to, they have to cut their losses somewhere, and, and that is, you know, so we're maintaining, you know, and and considering how fast things are changing on Netflix, they can't just not have any work on it. Right. And so, so, you know, it it, I get it it could very well come down to a cost cost savings thing, like you're saying, because who knows? Maybe the Samsung TVs that are being retired, I think there's like a dozen models. Maybe there's only a couple thousand of them left in active use for, for Netflix, you know, because 
you know, the, the smart TV interfaces, and you and I have talked about this a lot over the years, the smart TV interfaces can sometimes be really clunky, especially the older ones. So a lot of people went and put a Roku on top of it anyway, because those are way faster or an Apple TV or something like that. So maybe there's only a couple thousand of these left out there. And they're like, you know what? It's a couple thousand people. Worst case, worst case scenario right now, there's a $30 special on the Roku premiere. Yeah, push them to that. Tell them for 30 bucks. You're, right. you'll be fine. So the, the end result is probably on this particular thing is probably not that big, but it does, it does kind of, you know, bring back in the back of your mind a little bit, those fears of, of, uh, how this stuff works. But again, in this particular case for a $30 Roku premiere on Amazon, your problem solved. Plus, uh, it's way cheaper than an Apple TV and it supports the new Apple TV plus app. So I'm, I've got one coming myself for that. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's definitely in Netflix's best interest to do this. And like I said, my guess is there's not a lot of people that will be affected by it or they wouldn't be doing it. Well, that is our show. Thank you to those of you who joined us live. We always appreciate it. If you weren't able to and would like to in the future, Sunday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, f5live.tv slash join us. You can chat with us in the studio and give us some feedback as the show goes on. We always love to hear it. Um, if you joined us and would like to see all of our shows, you can always go to plugkidslive.com slash subscribe, and there you'll see all of our shows, um, the F5 Live and the Pilch Point. Plug It's Live presents and a whole lot more. Um, a reminder that next week will be a little strange because of uh, because of anime EY. I don't exactly know what that will look like. Abram and I, I think, are going to have a conversation about that in just a second, and we'll keep you updated on what that will look like. But we will figure out uh, some sort of a show for next week. Um, and I guess with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we will see you guys back next time. Ciao.